G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. The mission with the Brain Taming Podcast is to raise a million dollars, and that all starts with uh, building an audience and a platform. So thank you for tuning in. Our goal is to raise a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe. With that said, strap in and enjoy this episode. Okay, we're back for another episode of the Braintainment Podcast, and we're in for a real treat today. I'm joined by former co-captain of the Melbourne Football Club, Jack Grimes, and uh, anytime I get a chance to talk footy and also dive a little deeper into mindset and leadership and, and things of that nature at the same time, I get pretty excited. So there's a bit I want to get through with you today, mate, but firstly, I appreciate you making the time and joining me for a chat today, Grimesy. No worries at all, mate. Thanks for having me. So to uh, to kick things off, mate, let's go back to the start or to your teenage years anyway, playing footy. I remember when we first met, uh, we would have been about 16 or so coming through yeah. the NICE program. Yeah, yeah, back <laughs> in the day, yeah. Back in the day, mate, seems like yesterday. I <laughs> know, oh, it does uh, actually. Uh, even at the time though, you know, you're, you're a bloody good player. Your foot skills were fantastic. You know, I was coming out of the, coming out of the, the square and used to love getting hit up by your foot skills, mate, but... When was footy uh, – well, firstly, was footy always a career that you'd envision growing up? And when did you first start to think, uh, hey, I'm a pretty good chance to actually get drafted here? Um, yeah, I mean, like most kids that grow up around AFL footy, um, like my dad was, you know, avid Melbourne supporter back in the day and we always grew up, you know, supporting them and playing footy as soon as we could through, you know, the Oz kick and then into juniors at about six or seven, um, like most kids do around that age. But – um, I guess it all started like most in the backyard running around pretending you're kicking the winning goal in a grand final when you're about six years old and um, you know those dreams start back then and um, I was lucky enough to have four other brothers so we could almost have a footy team ourselves in the backyard so that helped as well um, and um, yeah and then as going through um, junior days I kind of thought that you know something that I really did enjoy and um, really enjoyed the team aspect of it and um as I began to get older, I guess sort of early teenage years, started to think that, you know, this is something that I really want to pursue and have a good crack at and, you know, playing other sports at the time. Um, kind of got to that age where I kind of had to choose which path, you know, you want to go down a bit, you know, harder than the others. And I was playing basketball, a little bit of cricket, that sort of thing, but um, decided that footy was always my passion. And so I quit the others and uh, put all my time into uh, into footy. And that was probably about the time that I met you down at the uh, – and the old Knights uh, Colgen down there. And, um, yeah, but still, you know, I was I still felt like the whole way through really that, uh, you know, it was a real dream and I was going to do everything I could to have a crack at it. But um, it wasn't until probably very late that I actually thought that I was a chance of getting drafted, that's for sure. So what was that process like then of uh, of getting drafted? So did, did Melbourne reach out to you before, before draft day? Were there other clubs involved? Um, talk us through that process. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one because um, obviously I'd never been through it and, um, you know, I went to draft camp but I was injured at the time. So I, I in my top age year in the TSE Cup, had a 
stress fracture my back that kept me out for the back half of the year and missed finals and uh, went to draft camp but couldn't perform a draft camp and so I was a kind of a you know had these feelings like geez if I've blown my chances here and you know the 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 docs were saying it's pretty serious but it shouldn't be you know career threatening or anything like that but you're going to have to have some solid rest and if you do get drafted you'll have to go through a rehab program when you get there and um, you know, as I, I've been a bit of a thinker, I really overthought it. Thought, geez, no one's going to want me now. Like, you know, I'm this. If, if they did want me before, you know, now I'm, I'm going there with a little asterisk next to my name. But um, went to draft camp and spoke to like quite a few clubs, and you know, they don't give a whole lot away, so you don't really know what to read into that. Um, but Melbourne was one that I did meet with post draft camp, and and they'd said that if you're there at um, at pick fourteen, they had that they'll they'll take me. Um, but they thought that I'd spoken to Adelaide, I think it was a little bit before as well, and they had pick 11 or 12, um, they, who they ended up taking Dangerfield with, so I think they won out of that one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and so when uh, a draft day came around, it was, um, you know, lucky enough to get my name read out by by the Ds and my whole family Melbourne supporters, so it was a dream come true, really, and uh the family were ecstatic that one, I could stay in Melbourne, but two, you know, I was playing for the the club that we all love as well. It was a bit of a, like I said, a dream come true. That's awesome. I actually didn't know that you were a Melbourne supporter. That uh, that, would, that worked out pretty well for you. Yeah, through and through. It's uh, my dad was like diehard D's and saw didn't see much success through his lifetime, and then. Um, you know, as this process started to happen, when there was thoughts of, you know, obviously I didn't really care. I didn't care at all where I went. I just wanted to get on an AFL list, but mm. I never really considered playing for the club that I supported. Um, but then when it all happened, it was, yeah, just amazing. And um, But now with with Dylan at Richmond, it's kind of like, uh, well, when Dylan went to Richmond, when I was still at Melbourne, um, it kind of tore the family a little bit because he felt a bit left out. Everyone's, you know, barracking and supporting me at the club that we've all grown up supporting. And then all of a sudden he's at a rival, but... He's done all right out of that, I think, over the last few years. He's, uh, I think, definitely. He's well. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely come out on top there. So you were drafted in 07, uh, but you didn't play your first game until late. Uh, I think it might have been in the last game of the 08 season, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, I think it was, yeah, ongoing back injury, which you kind of touched on there. So for you, mate, did that sort of test your resilience? Uh, and do you feel like that impacted the momentum you had going into the 07 draft at all? You mentioned there that you know, you're a bit worried that maybe you've won your chances. Uh, what, was it, what was that like for you? Did you feel like you had to kind of bounce back and was that a tough sort of psychological process to stay positive, stay motivated and, and ultimately get that, um, get that Guernsey to put on? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like it, it's tough because you feel like you put so much work into that moment to, you know, just get drafted, get on a list and, um, before the draft, I thought that, you know, I might have blown those chances. And, you know, in hindsight, it's probably pretty silly to, um, like, it wasn't a career threatening or anything like that. But I just felt like because I was injured at the time of the draft that it wasn't wasn't good. Um, but then when I was, yeah, lucky enough to get picked up and got to the list, it kind of, uh, it was tough to get there having no fitness base, having, you know, nothing really because I, you know, sat out the second half of the season and all you want to do is get there and make an impression and earn some respect and, you know, get out there in pre-season and, and at least, yeah, like try to show your stuff a little bit, I guess. And um, I was at the stage of the program in rehab that I could get back to running and things like that. And me being me, kind of just kept saying everything was fine. It's feeling really good when it wasn't really. And I still felt like, I, you know, in hindsight, needed more rest and pushed it a bit hard and then so lasted the first few weeks of pre-season and then went downhill again and kind of reflared up the injury and and had to go way back again to pretty much square run, square one sorry and um 
that was probably the toughest moment because, you know, you see all your these other guys that you've been drafted with and all the pre-seasons going on and, you know, games are coming around and, and I'm not even running. Um, and feeling kind of isolated from the group was tough when you're trying to make an impression. But um, they were great in terms of the club and the docs and the, the physios and that sort of stuff in supporting me. But I did find that really tough. Um, and then, yeah, lucky enough as the season went on, played a few VFL games and, yeah, to be honest, was probably, you know, um, questionable whether I deserved the game in the last game of the season, but I was wrapped that I got, got got picked and gave me a little taste for it, which really, really helped going into the next preseason, um, you know, just to feel like I've got that, you know, monkey off the back, I guess, and just got out there and officially am an AFL player now that I've played a game. Um, yeah, it definitely gave me a bit of momentum going into that off-season than the next preseason. Yeah, nice. So you mentioned there that, uh, you know, you didn't have um, – all your endurance potentially might have been hindered from the lack of training with the injury. But I think from memory anyway, you know, coming through the, the Teenage uh, Nights program, you know, you pre- had a pretty good tank. So for you, what were some of the strengths that you feel like you had as a player that attracted uh, Melbourne in the first place, do you think? Was it was it your endurance? Was it your was it your skills? What, what, what do you put it down to? Um, yeah, I felt like I was reasonably fit. I, I trained um, pretty hard when I was in the lead up to probably the you know, 16, 17, 18, those years leading up to the draft, um, which was kind of my undoing in the end because that's what brought about the stress fracture. Um, and so I felt like I had a pretty good tank um, and reasonable skills and was kind of playing a bit of like a midfield halfback role at the time and felt like I was you know, reading the play okay and sort of um, adjusting well to the, I guess, the pace of the TAC Cup. Like, as you know, it's quite quick for when you come out of, you know, normal local footy, you get to the TAC Cup and a lot of really talented 18-year-olds that are running around, it's it's quite a lot quicker than you're used to at local footy. Um, but I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, so that, that was kind of what I think maybe, you know, caught their eye a little bit but in saying that like you know I found out that once again to an AFL club and always knew that as well that I had a lot more work to do in all those areas like you, you know you think you're fit think you're ready to go and and that first game that I talked about in the uh at the end of 08 was a real wake-up call because by half time I, I was just spent and um couldn't believe the pace difference again like you know going adjusting kind of the VFL and which was a big step up and then getting out to AFL it was a real uh, wake up call in a way that I, you know, thought my fitness was okay, but it really, you know, really wasn't even close to being ready yet. Um, but like I said before, that really helped actually going into the next preseason and kind of know what I was up against. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a work in progress for sure. So you go into the footy club, you get to the Melbourne footy club, and what's the conversation around, you know, your strengths and weaknesses? And I've always found this really fascinating. I think it, you know, it's a good good thought process outside of the sporting realm as well in terms of do you over-index on your strengths or what makes you fantastic in the first place or do you focus on your weaknesses to become more rounded? Is it a combination of both? Was Did you find there was a um, – yeah, which way did you feel like the conversation lean? Was, was it a balance or were they more interested in, um, okay, over-index on your strengths or, yeah, become more well-rounded? Yeah, it's it's probably a bit of a balance, really. It's, um, I mean, your strengths are what probably gets you drafted and gets you on a list in the first place. And, um, you know, you never want to lose them or, or not focus on them because, you know, everyone has weaknesses. But um, you really want to make your strengths a real strength and to, to have an impact at, uh, like on an AFL game, in an AFL game, I think you really need to um, make the most of those strengths and to um, really give you that little bit of a, I guess, um, a leg up on the on the rest of the players out there, like what sets you apart in whatever field that is. And 
Um, like I said, for me, like I, I definitely wasn't the most gifted in terms of, um, you know, athletically and all that sort of thing. And, and, and skill wise, like I was an okay kick. I was in, you know, I felt like I was a reasonable mark for my size. Um, mm. but I just wanted to be like, I felt like I'd get my edge by just working harder, um, and trying to see myself for training and see myself on game day as being, you know, one of the hardest workers out there and, and to really try to overwork my opponent and, um, which really did help when I was initially um, playing a lot at half back and just feeling like, you know, get to a, whatever opponent it is and, and try to feel like you just got to work harder than them. And um, I felt like in the first couple of years, definitely that, um, uh, like, as games went on, I felt like I got better as, as games got later and I felt like I was, you know, starting to get fitter. Um, but, and then the weaknesses, um, there's always a long list of weaknesses and, and I think they do it pretty well in that, you know, that especially as young players, you're made aware of them and you're made aware that you need to put a lot of time into them and, um, but they don't harp on them and only focus on them. They, they really try to um, make you feel good and make you feel confident about the strengths that you've got. But weaknesses like mine was my strength initially, especially I got to the club at about 70 kilos dripping wet and was, you know, pretty small. Um, so yeah, that was that. It was my speed, my initial like acceleration off the mark, um, and then I think my like kind of in close, like you know, tight stoppage tackling, that sort of like you know, real contest work with I think came with the strength stuff. So um, yeah, it was there was always a long list of uh, weaknesses though. Don't worry about that. There was uh, and probably mine, mine that I wrote up for myself was probably a lot longer than what the coach <laughs> gave me as well. So. Yeah, <laughs> usually is that way, isn't it? Yeah, like, uh, absolutely. Yeah. A little bit, more, a little bit more self-critical. Yeah. Um, so you touched on the, you know, your work ethic there, and you know, putting the work to to identify and address some of those areas. But for you, mate, was there anyone at the club um, that impressed you the most with their with their intensity or their professionalism, their work ethic? Was there anyone that stood out um, perhaps more so than some of the others? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I first got to the club, it was a guy I didn't know much about or, you know, didn't know at all really it was um, Nathan Jones. And obviously he went on to have a really – and still, you know, having a really successful career. But at the time, he I think he was coming off – he'd finished second in the best and fairest um, in maybe his second year at the club, and which kind of came out of nowhere. And I remember watching him and um, another guy, Brock McLean, um, used to do a lot of training together and just the way that they attacked pre-season um, and the competitiveness that they had against everyone, obviously, but as well between themselves, the two of them, um, that really set the tone for me in terms of like, you know, if I was wanted to learn about, um, which I did, you know, how do you train like an AFL footballer, um, who are you going to watch? And those were probably the two guys when I first got there that had a huge impression on me and I was completely intimidated by both of them. I would never say a word to either of them at the time because I was this young kid and they were two big, scary-looking guys um, and I was in rehab and they're out there, you know, kicking goals on the field of training. And um, But they, they definitely set a real impression and, and I think still like to this, to this day, like I mean obviously I'm not, you know, training with Jonesy now but – um, even as his career went on, that side of him never, you know, never wavered at all. He he probably became a bit smarter and didn't just, you know, smash himself at every session as he got a bit older. But his uh, his intensity at training would never um, never waver, and he'd always have something that he's really really trying to get out of each session. And um, yeah, even after winning, you know, a few best and fairest and doing all those sort of things, he's uh, he was a real example. I think everyone at the club. Yeah, I love that. I actually had Ruzi on the show a couple of weeks ago and he, um, I think uh, whether it was on the show or off air, we were having a chat about Jonesy as well. So um, 
that doesn't surprise me. He sounds like he's a real workhorse. Yeah, he is. He is, definitely. <laughs> it's funny, end up, well, which we'll get to in a sec, but um, end up sharing the captaincy with him for a little bit. But before that, with uh, with Jack Trengrove from memory at the age of 22, I think you were. So one of the game's youngest captains uh, in history. And it's funny just hearing you talk about, you know, you're feeling a little bit intimidated by these blokes at first, but ultimately, you know, you get the tap on the shoulder at a pretty young age and, and end up getting the reins as, as co-captain of the Melbourne Footy Club. What was that experience like and, and how did that come about? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I mean, looking back, my, my head was kind of spinning at the time, I think. The club was going through a lot and we were going through, a, you know, on field, like a lot of list changes and and we were going through a really rough patch um, on field, you know, some really poor performances um, over the last few seasons and um Post time with with Dean Bailey, like things started to seem like they were um, they were turning, and we had some some you know some positive signs coming through, and then and then Dean Bailey, um, you know, obviously got the sack in you know can't remember what year that was now, two thousand ten might have been, um, but um, yeah, and then Mark Neal came in um, the following year, and so I'm getting confused with the years, but one of those years along there, and um, and. Yeah, like we were in a really tough place at, the, at that time and um, the, the club decided to make some pretty tough calls on some of their senior players and um, quite a few senior players rather moved on or like, you know, careers came to an end because I think it was a time for the club that we really need to have a turnaround and um, a really big shift and and part of that shift um, that, you know, Newdy really saw at the time was that he wanted to shift in the in the on-field leadership and not just the off-field leadership and... Um, you know, he obviously was was targeting the younger sort of brigade, and um, and Trenners and I were the were the ones that um, you know he saw as as uh, wanting to you know lead the club moving forward. And for both you know Jack and I, like we were um, you know we were we were kids basically, and I think you know had bugger all experience to ourselves on field and and even in the in the form of leadership, it was. It was a pretty big, like you know, to be completely honest, it was, it was a really big shock. Like I was, I was in the leadership group the year before for the first year, and um, felt, you know, as much as I felt like you know, I'd try to contribute here and there, I felt almost um, out of my depth there, and felt you know really intimidated being considered a leader when I was this. I felt like I was this young kid just trying to make you know my own way. Um, and yeah, and then as as that came about, the decision to um, make us co-captains, it was. Um, it was a lot to take on in, in the in the fact that like there were still a lot of senior players that were seen as leaders or were lead, in leadership positions in the past. You know, guys like Brad Green and Brett Maloney and, and these guys who were senior long term players for the club that have often and you know been in leadership positions that have probably would have been the I guess more obvious choice for you know the um, the captaincy role um, to try to have you know them on side. Um, behind Jack and I who felt like we were these, you know, young kids was tough. But in saying that, you know, like there was obviously some people that um, there was a lot of talk about the decision. I'm, you know, I'm well aware of that as everyone else, as, as everyone else is, but those guys definitely supported us uh, like Jack and I um, along the way, which was great because I know I put them in a pretty tough position too and we needed help. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty interesting time though that going through that process and, and um, looking back now, it's kind of one that I've, you know, it's all feels a little bit blurry. It's all happened so quickly. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And I wonder, just to sort of digress a little bit, I wonder if um, people listening, whether it's, you know, in, inside sports or outside the sporting realm, get similar opportunities in terms of maybe it's, you know, takes them back a little bit. And I feel like a lot of people turn it down or they freak out and they, they don't sort of, you know, quote unquote, rise to the occasion, I suppose. So for you, mate, was there a part of you that did you ever consider not taking on the role even, or were you always like, nah, I'm anxious, I'm a bit nervous, but I, you know, I feel like it's a good opportunity for me. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like I felt like, um, like I had a lot of support as um, as Jack uh, Trengo did as well. Like from from the playing group, like a lot of them were were saying, you know, all the right things to us and wanting, um, you know, us to to lead the club forward. And it, it wasn't as if it was a what felt like um, it was an unpopular decision um, internally, um, and. I felt completely supported. Um, it was, and I felt, you know, in a way that, you know, it was obviously a bit of a shock and it, like, you know, I felt young and there were questions that, you know, if you had to ask me before getting the gig, would you be ready for that? Uh, I would have said, oh, geez, I don't know. Like, it's a pretty big, uh, pretty big step. But as soon as it happened, there wasn't a thought from me of like, can I do this? It was just like, right, let's get to work and let's like, let's do what we're going to do here. And, um, and I kind of just, um, went into it head on and just and I just had a real crack at it and just tried to learn as much as I could along the way. Had some tough conversations early days, like I said, with, you know, some of those senior players that were probably pretty disappointed they weren't in the role. Um or in another, you know, leadership role. And um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't easy, but at the same time, there was no part of me that felt like, geez, I don't want this responsibility. Like I it was such an honor and such a mm. something that, you know, like I'm still to this day really, really proud of and was never something that I'd shy away from. Um and challenges that came up along the way never brought up that response of, you know, oh, you know, this, am I right for this job or is, you know, am I am I the right man? I just I just like I said, just went into it head on and learned as much as I could and just kind of I guess worked it worked as much of it out on the fly as I could, and just it just so happened that like uh, the timing of that, like we were in a pretty bad place, like I said, on field. So it presented a lot of a um, lot of challenges in that first that first couple of years because we just weren't winning games. So it was, you know, when you're not winning games, there's pressure on everyone, but especially pressure on um, on on the leaders, which was Jack and I. And so it was it was it was tough at times, but. Um, in saying that, like I think probably my best year and my nine years at AFL footy was my first year as captain. So, like in terms of on yeah. field, so it was. Um, I kind of felt like it did bring out the best in me in a in a, in a way as well. So, um, but yeah, definitely a bit of a roller coaster for those first couple of years. Yeah, mate. Look, I, I bloody love that. Something I talk about a lot, you know, on, on the show and off air as well, just with, with chats with friends and family. Is this idea of like clarity gives you power, and I love that. You know, despite um, you know what you're feeling at the time, like you, you get the gig and you go, all right, let's just get to work, let's just get it done. And I think a lot of people, just to sort of digress a little bit again, you know, a lot of people in different areas of their life um, get stuck in that sort of decision making, and that and there's a lot of fatigue that comes with that. Should I? Shouldn't I? Um, but uh, you know, to hear you talk about like, okay, I've got the gig, let's just roll, let's just get to work, let me learn along the way. I, th- I feel like that clarity gives you a sense of power to then execute, you know, at a, at a higher level. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Because I, I just think it then takes out the option to think about um, is this the right thing. It takes out the the what ifs and the because it's, there's you don't give yourself time to think about that. You put your energy into okay, what am I going to do about it? What do I need to do from now? And um, and that approach really helped. And I think as well, like as I should have mentioned before, like going through the same thing with you know Jack Trengove, who was in the exact same position as me, and he was even younger. 
um, you know, that really helped to be able to bounce, you know, some of those thoughts and feelings off each other. Um, and that's why I think it like, you know, had I been in that role by myself, I don't know how I would have, you know, it's hard to say, but I don't know how I would have gone just, you know, feeling like it was all on my shoulders, but it really did help having him there to, um, to bounce things off as well. Definitely. Oh, for sure. So then just on some of the learnings then, um, was there anything that stood out for you in terms of, you know, being a leader, I guess, leading a football club, were there things that caught you by surprise? What were some of the, uh, what were some of the lessons you took away from that time that were important in footy and potentially even that could translate to, you know, leadership in all areas of life? Um, yeah, what I quickly realised was that how much, you know, when you're an on-field leader and you're in the role of a co-captain that um, it's not just your role on-field. Um, there, w- there was so much that came with it off-field and, you know, obviously extra media responsibility and things like that. But in terms of just like general um, decision-making and things that you're involved in off-field, um, that was probably I underestimated, you know, the amount that, um, you know, different meetings that you're in and things to do with the broader club that you're, you're involved in and and just, um, you know, you're, you're just often people turn to you to what's your opinion on this and we need to do this and, you know, we need your help with it. And um, so there was a lot more that came with it than I probably realised. Um, but um, but also, like, I, I think the, the number one thing that I worked out really quickly was um, that the best thing you can do as a leader is to look after yourself. Um, and the uh, the best thing that, you know, from a football sense is to perform your role on game day and set your example that way. And I think of all the leadership that you can, um, that you can ever, you can ever have, you know, in terms of any sporting club, the best thing you can do is set the example on field by just performing your role and doesn't necessarily be, mean that you have to you know be best on ground every week and the one kicking all the goals or getting all the touches or anything like that but um have others around you looking at you that you really value the role that you've been given on the game day and you do everything you can to get that done and all the other stuff around that comes as secondary and all that other you know on-field leadership and the the talk and the conversations that you're having come secondary to that and um I think that's probably as as my time went on in um, in the role, I confused that a little bit. Um, I started to focus more so on myself as as the leader rather than myself as the player. Um, and I think that was probably where um, my I you know went through uh, my form started to drop in my later you know years as as um, as captain, and then um, post that as well was because I felt like I started to put a lot more time and energy into the. The, the leader that I was rather than the, the just the player that I was and um, definitely like you know as everyone would I think if you had your time again you probably you would approach it in a little bit of a different way but um, that was the best I knew at the time and um, I definitely learned a lot out of that um, and if I could have that conversation with myself back when <laughs> I was 22 I obviously would but um, Mate, there's a few there's a few things I'd tell myself at 22 as well don't worry <laughs> exactly I'm sure everyone's got that so um, yeah, but it is what it is. I, I don't have any regrets in all that. It just became a real learning curve. And if I was ever, you know, in a leadership position, whether it's in a sporting field or anything else, like I would definitely take a lot out of that experience. And um, I feel like I developed as a person through that time more than I have in any other, you know, three years of my life. So definitely grateful for that experience. But um, yeah, there would 100% be things I'd do differently. 
That's huge. Yeah, hindsight's a one. We're sort of joking about it there, but hindsight is a it's a wonderful thing. You know, particularly if you take away the lessons and actually just apply that to the next opportunities in your life. Then um, that's half the reason I like these conversations with this show is you know I get to pick apart the brains of people like yourself and share my own stories and you know a lot of it, a lot of the time it's just reflecting. Um, I think is the more we can take those lessons into the future, the better, right? Um, Definitely, absolutely, yeah. To, just one more on the leadership thing. Uh, so, how did you find? So, you get, within a footy club, there's a, a whole bunch of different personalities, like in any community, but particularly within a footy club. You know, I'm sure you test too. So then, yeah. did you, did you, you know, whether it was yourself and Jack or yourself and um, Jonesy in the the later part of your time as captain, did you find that you had to tailor your approach to different personalities? Uh, definitely, yeah. You're spot on there. With it. Footy clubs are made up of so many different personalities. There's no one size fits all in terms of your approach from a coaching point of view or a leadership point of view or whatever it is. So, um, And that was something that I definitely had to learn. I was very much a, you know, <clears throat> put your head down, bum up, get the work done. Um, never really, I, you know... I was also at the time, that time of my life, I was in a long-term relationship. I wasn't a big drinker. I wasn't going out much. I wasn't, you know, like footy was basically my life at the time. And um, I did struggle, um, you know, at the time with, you know, just general things that come up, guys that have maybe gone out a bit too much or some guys that, you know, rock up late to training or whatever it is. Like, it's just like, how can your mind work that way? That kind of, you know, because I was very probably wired the other way and I was, if anything, um too you know too hard on myself with that stuff and too uh, regimented with uh, my schedule and you know all that sort of thing and the way I trained but I found it really hard to see it when guys didn't have that approach um but that's definitely like something in the back end and something that I you know post footy have you know come to appreciate that guys are you know and you know whatever it is for a work sense as well that People are brought up differently and people have um, different reasons for doing different things. And just because you do it one way and that's the way you want to do it, that's the way it works for you, that way might not work for others. And um, I think for a while there I've probably tried to too much to um, influence people and try to get them to do it my way rather than trying to help them do it their way. Um, and, yeah, definitely butt heads, butt heads with a few people and, um, like I said before, I definitely, if I had my time again, would approach some of those conversations pretty differently because um, just having a bit more understanding that everyone is different um, and there's no one size fits all, but it definitely took a bit to grasp that for me, definitely. Mm. So you sort of touched on there, Grimesy, a bit about you know being a little bit perhaps too regimented in your approach, but as sort of a general snapshot, what's a day in the life look like for, for a footy player? For someone listening, you know, maybe they're a diehard AFL fan, <laughs> what um, – What's this, or let's say a week in the life, you know, the training, the diet, the rehab, game day, you know, um, time with the coaches. What does that look like, generally speaking? Yeah, well, uh, I, I suppose in season, uh, in season, pre season, very different. Pre season is much more about the training load and um, there's much less meetings because there's no, you know, opposition previews and reviews and all that sort of stuff. You obviously have game plan meetings and review training, but the meetings don't take up nearly as much time as what they do in season. So, in season, it's um, you probably a normal day would be you'd come in. We'd have our um, might be main session or second session of the week. Um, we'd normally come get into the club about eight o'clock for a nine nine thirty start on the track. Um, but there was a lot of stuff you have to go through pre pre training, often prehab it was called, like basically like your injury injury prevention sort of stuff and an early warm up, I guess that you'd go through down in the gym. You get any physio treatment you need. You get your strapping done. Um, 
And then it'd be, you know, get yourself ready mentally, basically get out on the track and it'd be like a real performance time, basically like a mid, mid-week game day in a very shortened version um, for maybe an hour, an hour and a half on the track, get out there, work on some things that we're really trying to work on, um, get a little bit of conditioning in. Um, but you definitely like, your training's quite short, but you can't float through it, especially in season. It's a real performance time and um, the, the, the coaches really try to amp up the, I guess, almost like the pressure on training to replicate a game as much as you can. There's not much of, you know, kick to the hat, run through, you know, have a bit of a handball, have a bit of a laugh. There is in like a warm-ups, you know, and all the um, the other sessions of the week, there's a little bit of that. But when it's like your proper main session, it's really, you know, game-like intensity. Um, and then from there, it's normally come in, do some recovery, ice baths, pool recovery, stretching, all that sort of thing, and then um, jump in for some lunch. We normally have lunch as a group. And then um, the afternoon was where it all became a bit different. There'd be a lot more meetings. You'd kind of split up into rotations normally in your line, like a backs are together, your midfield together, forwards are together. Um, and in that time, you'd have a, a meeting to review um, last week's game and go have some things that, you know, you're trying to work on into the next week. Um, in your line, you do a weight session, so your big strength session for the week, um, which normally you go for, you know, an hour or so as well. Um, you get some more recovery in, so generally there'd be two recovery sessions in the day and then it'd be other things like massage and um, other appointments with your line coaches to go over your individual performance and um, and that sort of thing. So a little bit broken in the afternoon and then you generally get out of there maybe 4.30, 5 o'clock or something like that, so reasonably kind of like normal full-time hours. Um, but that was kind of a standard day, but every week was so different and I can't imagine what they're going through up in Hub Life at the moment up there. Like every week could be so different again. Oh, um, but yeah, it was there was always something on the go. You'd never be bored. There's always something going on. So um, but the amount of people that are that are there trying to get, you know, the team and every individual ready for game day is just phenomenal. And the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes um, for everyone's program too. It's uh yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, there's a lot of roles, um, you know, a lot of roles at a footy club like you touched on there, one of which, of course, is the head coach, and you had a couple in your time. What did you – what were some of the learnings you took away from them and, and how did they differ? Were they sort of – were they different in the way they approached um, coaching the footy side? Yeah, unfortunately, did did go through a few different coaches, which is never a good sign out of a, uh, no, no. Out of a career. But um, yeah, um, well, my first coach was was Dean Bailey, so I came the year after Neil Danaher finished. Um, so my first head coach was Dean Bailey, you know, the late Dean Bailey, which is uh, yeah, it still makes me sad talking about him. To be honest, it's um, yeah, it's really tough for uh, you know his family have gone through, and um, he was such an amazing. Um, you know, coach to have a first coming to a footy club. Like he, he made us, we had quite a few drafted in my year and he made all of us feel so welcome. And um, even when I was, you know, in, in rehab and feeling really isolated from the group, Babes would always make the time to, you know, come and have a chat and ask how I'm going and, and make me feel really welcome. And he was very, very good like that. He was a really good um, people person and a real carer and he always made everyone feel really welcome. And I think, to be honest, that's that's what um, made him a good coach in a way as well. Like everyone felt the care from Bales, that so we wanted to play for him and um, we wanted to do well for him. And 
Um, but on top of that, like he was, he was. I, I felt like he was a great coach. I think um, you know he came at a time when the club was going through a real transition time, and 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 some of the footy that we played under him was was really good, and it was a really exciting brand of footy too. It was it was quite quite attacking. Probably looking back, we probably still need to do a lot more work on our defensive side. But um, we had some games that we played in that. Geez, like that was. You know, probably the most fun on field I had was under Bales because there was a lot of offensive flair, and you know we had guys like you know Aaron Davy and Liam Jarrah and these guys Austin Wanamiri running around for us that were just like you know absolute live wires and um, yeah, so I, I loved time time under Bales and was really sad to see that come to an end and um, you know obviously there was some a lot of other stuff going on at the time but yeah he was uh, and then very sad to see that you know. Um, his passing a few years later, it was really tough for the club and a lot of guys had played underneath him because we really had a good relationship with him and had kept in touch ever, even after he left the club. Um, and then had a couple of, you know, like had um, a couple of interim coaches as well that were like, you know, Todd Viney, Neil Craig in there too. But the next main one was um, was Neil, uh, sorry, um, Neildy, Mark Neil. Um, and he came in and he was obviously, you know, came from Collingwood and, and was very highly touted from um, as an assistant coach at, at, uh, at Collingwood. And um, I think like I mentioned before, like I really, really felt for Neildy in that um, the time that he came to the club, like we, we just, we were at rock at rock bottom really from an on-field um, perspective and, and a lot of stuff going on off-field too, to be honest. And it was a very tough gig for him. Um, there was a lot of scrutiny and... Um, yeah, it was just a really tough time, and I think that any coach that came in there, even being the best coach that ever lived, it just would have been a, a pretty tough time in that in that era. Um, yeah. But he was like, I had a great relationship with Neely, and um, I know he's obviously you know caught quite a bit of flack, but I had a great relationship with Neely, and um, he helped me a lot um, through um, my time when I was first you know um, involved as co-captain and. Um, and like I said before, he I, like I played probably my best um, year of footy under him in his first year. We, we were really struggling, but um, I personally probably played my you know individual best footy that that year. And um, but in saying that, it was a very tough year for, for everyone involved at the footy club, and including Neildy himself. It was really tough to see and to speak to him after you know getting pretty close with him. How much it affected him personally. Um, and I think that's what people don't don't see is they you know they see the performance on game day and they see these coaches that you know front the media with this you know very steely sort of um, personality doesn't seem like they get too phased by anything but like you know you see it firsthand that there was a lot that you know got to him and was affecting him and his family and um, you know some real personal stuff that would that would have been really really tough for him and so I, like I, I really feel for him out of that that I feel like he was. Um, kind of the face of the club at the time that was in a pretty bad spot. And, and yes, there were probably things that we could have improved on from a from a game plan perspective and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, I, I really believed in what he was um, drilling into us. It just it just wasn't working as effectively as what we thought it might, I guess. And um, But, you know, the scrutiny that was around that was just crazy. And so I really, really felt for him. Um, and yeah, it was very sad to see that you know his time as as coach would not be remembered fondly at all for him. And um, but like I said, I think that would have been a tough year for anyone that came into the club at that time. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And then um, um, and the next one was yeah, Ruzi after that, which is uh, 
obviously up and down again. <laughs> there was a lot of downs, unfortunately, in my years at the, <laughs> at the D's. But um, yeah, Ruzi was the, uh, the last coach I had as, as, as Goody was transitioning into senior coach. And um, yeah, he obviously brought a lot of experience and, uh, and Goody brought a, real, a lot of that real, you know, game plan now so that um, he's very good at, I think. I was, you know, really, really rate Simon Goodwin. Um, so yeah, I was, unfortunately saw quite a few coaches <laughs> at my time. Yeah. Fair <laughs> um, all right, mate. So we'll wrap things up soon, and appreciate you coming out the time. And I feel like I could just riff on you know ideas on footy and mindset and some of the players you play with for hours. But um, for you, mate, just looking back on it now, was there any particular highlights that stand out for you, whether it's on field or off field, um, from your time as a as a as a D? Um, like I said, unfortunately, like I didn't play in a lot of success there, and uh, I you know didn't see a final or. Um, or anything like that, which is, yeah, that's, you know, it's sad looking back on seeing that, you know, didn't didn't experience that side of it. But I think with um, with any, even if it was a really successful career, like, you know, speaking to other ones and, you know, seeing my brother Dylan go through a lot of success at the moment, um, so much of the memories come off field and, and the relationship that you make um, off field. And, and that's definitely my highlight at the time is that some lifelong friends that I've made out of that and, um and some some guys that you know I'll, I'll be in touch with you know I'm sure till the day I die and um, but also the the things I, I you know learned about myself like I feel like when I finish up my career at 27 I think I was um, I felt like I'd you know was ready for anything after that and even though I hadn't experienced life outside of footy at all I um, yeah like I felt I felt like I'd been through so much personally that I was ready to attack whatever was next because uh, yeah it, it definitely learned so much out of the experience as a whole so I guess in terms of highlight I'd say definitely the the learning experiences and the, the off-field memories and a few footy trips here and there were pretty good fun too I've got to, I've got to yeah. so they're, they're, you definitely remember those. Mate, I've been on a couple of them. Uh, probably not <laughs> not an AFL footy club, which is uh, it probably makes it more exciting because we can go, go up to a bit of strife. <laughs> yeah, mate, they're, they're all the same. Trust me, they're uh, yeah, they're good yeah, fun. yeah, it's good fun. They are a lot of fun. Uh, so, did you feel then that did you feel like your time was done then when you did finish things finish things up? You were um, career was cut short at the end of twenty sixteen, I think it was from memory. Uh, did you feel like you had more footy in you, or did you feel like okay, I'm, I'm almost ready for the next chapter of my life now? Like, what was that sort of feeling like for you I suppose yeah look, I, w- I wasn't sure to be honest from a footy perspective if, if uh, me playing AFL footy was you know whether I could keep go, go to another club and offer them you know something that um, they really needed or wanted um, but in terms of from an emotional perspective I was I was done I was like you know I was really ready to move on from AFL footy that that last year that I had was really tough for me to um, playing a lot of AFL footy and um, feeling like I just couldn't, you know, break into the team, and uh, it was really obvious. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not a silly bloke. I could understand that my position there wasn't seen in the future of the club, and, and they were making decisions to go other ways. And um, you know, I read between the lines, well and truly, you know, a long way out from the end of the season that it was going to be pretty tough for me. Um, and it took a bit of a toll. And I think that the, that year did give me a lot of perspective, though, in terms of life outside of footy. And I think, as I touched on at the start, I was probably a little bit too highly strung in the AFL environment and, and let that control a lot of my life um, and how I felt about the rest of my life. And um, so by the time that came to an end, I was ready to experience life outside of footy and to see myself as someone other than just Jack Grimes, the AFL footballer, which I hadn't really, to be honest, up until then. So, um yeah, there was some opportunities that came up in terms of look like there might have been a potential, you know, rookie spot here or rookie spot there and, you know, nothing, no guarantees or anything like that. And 
but I ended up, you know, not nominating for the draft. I was, I was just ready to call it a day um, and very content with that as well. So, um, and looking back, I'm, I'm glad I did. I knew that I was, you know, my time was my time was up as an AFL footballer and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, nice. And uh, you've got your gym now. We're talking off air a little bit about that. Uh, was that something that you'd always considered post-footy? And uh, for you, mate, how important is your fitness and, and prioritising physical health? Yeah, you. definitely. Yeah, like I, I've always been passionate about um, training, and you know, loved obviously all the training that came with AFL football, but also um, learning a lot of things about the body and about technique and about actually training other people. And um, I started um, at the gym uh, with my um, uh, or ex now uh, while I was playing footy, and we sort of started as a bit of a project. And you know, I saw that as something I wanted to get involved in post footy and. Kind of saw it to be honest. though, was something I'd do on the side, but then as soon as footy finished, I just jumped into it head on and loved it so much that I was doing it full time before I knew it, and um, it's been going well and been doing it ever since. So um, I, to be honest, see myself staying in the field for you know for a long time at least, and and love every bit of it. Like I, I, it's a, like a footy club. It kind of feels like a um, that kind of social environment of a footy club. People coming in the doors, you get to know everyone, and. Um, I really like the social side of it. So, um, but yeah, love health and fitness and everything that comes with it. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing that for sure. Nice. Well, mate, when the bloody Rona's cleared up, I'll, um, I'll come by. I'll <laughs> come by. I'll lift some weights. You can get me in shape. Absolutely, mate. Strictly buys and tries for the first few sessions. Oh, yeah. to get you feeling good about yourself, and uh, we'll go from 100%, there. Hundred percent, mate. Um, before you, before we go, mate, a couple of rapid fire questions just for a bit of fun. A couple on the footy front, a couple of random ones, and then I'll get your final piece of advice for some uh, aspiring footballers that potentially could you know, translate to anyone in life, really. But uh, firstly, some rapid questions. Uh, best player you have played with and why? Played with? Um, no, well, sorry, sorry. Played against. Played against, okay. Um, definitely Juddy in his time, uh, in his you know in his prime, sorry. Um, one of my best mates through footy was Geordie McKenzie and he had a couple of jobs of trying to tag that bloke and honestly, like, I felt like it was impossible. <laughs> He's an absolute star. Like, his, his explosiveness out of a stoppage is just crazy. So, definitely Jody. Ma- yeah, he was majestic to watch. Who uh, Who's going to win the grand final this year? Um, I'm going to say Richmond again. I'm going to go them for uh, number three. Yeah, very nice. Well, uh, mate, I, I hope they do for your brother's sake. Yeah, that's, I don't know, that's one thing in there. It's- yeah. Uh, I was going to ask who you bagged for growing up, but I now know that's the D, so that's cool. Who inspires you, mate? Either inside footy or outside footy? Anyone in particular? Oh, that's it. Um, to be honest, man, I'm going to have to go a bit of a cheesy one. I'm going to have to say my dad. Um, I like it. Yeah, just just love what he represents. Loves what he represents as a. He's retired now, but what what he represented as a businessman and as a father, and uh, yeah, definitely someone who I've looked up to through uh, my whole life, footy and post footy. So. I've said the old man. My dad's my hero too, mate, so I love that. Love it. Uh, Favourite movie? Shawshank Redemption. I think a bit of a popular one, but can't go past it. Mate, it's bloody good. You got a favourite musician or artist? Um, yes, I'm going to say John Butler. Oh, nice. Love a bit of John Butler tree, a bit, of, a bit into the chill sort of stuff. Eh? Is, is that too chill? Of music when you're working out though in the gym, do you have something harder or do you like? No, to, oh, well, when I've got them. clients out there, when I've got clients, I've got all the you know the doof doof stuff pumping. But when I work out, I actually like the relaxed <laughs> kind of music. I kind of like zen out. Interesting. People find it bizarre. Like if they come in when I'm working out, I'll be you know trying to do a max set of you know bench or something like that, and I've got this you know chilled out John Butler number in the background. They're like, what's going on? But yeah, you know, always like that. Uh, 
Each to their own, mate. Each to their own. Um, and then, yeah, finally, mate, any advice for any aspiring footballers um, that potentially, you know, the same information or advice could translate to all areas of life? Any thoughts around that? Um, yeah, definitely for, for aspiring footballers. So, for, you know, if you're a 16-year-old trying to make it on the, onto an AFL list, I think the um, the piece of advice that I would always, always give them is to think about what's going to set you apart from the other, you know, tens of thousands of kids that are trying to get their name drafted. Um, you know, if you just go through the same program and the same, you know, training routine and the same as, you know, what most kids do in that, in that lead up to, you know, getting to that 18 year old age when you're hopefully getting drafted, what's going to set you apart from them if you're just doing the same thing. So, um, I think, you know, always thinking, what am I going to do to, to give myself that little bit of an edge and, um, and then so that, that translates to if you do make it to an AFL list so you can stand next to whatever opponent it is and just know that or have that feeling that I know that I've worked harder than you, even if you don't know their background, don't know where they've come from. Um, and that was something I always tried to do through through those, year, those years and I think that's definitely what, you know, got me drafted in the first place was just trying to feel like I was going to work harder than anyone else around me. And if there's someone that works harder than you, then latch onto them and, you know, learn a lot from them and then and then compete against them. And um, you know, I think that's the uh, that's the best way to go, and it probably translates into other areas of life too, it, in terms of you know, it really um, does. Yeah, just try, just try to be the hardest working person you can for whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. It's not just going to be given, or very rarely, it's just going to be gifted to you. So, you know, what are you doing that sets you apart from the next person, and why do you deserve that? So, um, yeah, I suppose that'd be it, mate. That's a good place to wrap things up. I fucking love that part of my language, but um. <laughs> Just, just to that point, though, those couple of things, mate, I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear because I feel like, you know, the idea of setting yourself apart and being unique, you know, you hear it all the time, but if you really digest it, it's important. It's an important takeaway. And, like, I know for me, just, just to sort of digress again a little bit, just even with this podcast, like, I, I really like talking about psychology, mindset, that sort of, you know, personal development realm. But, you know, I do swear from time to time. I've got a little bit rough around the edges kind of vibe, I suppose. And I feel like that uniqueness is to an extent what sets me apart. So just not to make it about me, but I feel like um, to your point, it really does translate to all areas of life. What makes you different and then kind of just fucking own that uniqueness, I suppose. Uh, Absolutely. Then, yeah, yeah. That's why people have got to listen to this. Like it's, it's not because yeah. you're, you're, you're going to be like someone else. It's own it. If you're a bit different, go with it. Like and if that's what you like about yourself, absolutely just embrace that. So, um, no, that's 1, awesome to hear that you've got that mindset as well. So very good. I like it, mate. Well, uh, I'll leave you to it. Uh, I was going to say, I'll, I'm sure you've got a lot going on, but, uh, mate, we're in the middle of COVID-19 lockdown. <laughs> yeah, no, so, <laughs> <laughs> we can just talk shit for another couple of yeah, hours. But, exactly, uh, mate. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a couple of things to do, mate. We'll, we'll connect again in the future. I really appreciate you carving out the time. It's awesome fun. I know people listening would... We'll enjoy it, particularly the Melbourne fans, and um, and learn heaps as well. You know, uh, whether in this in a sports environment or not, there's a lot of takeaways. So, uh, mate, it's, it's a lot of fun. No worries at all, mate. Thanks for having me, and good to catch up. Absolutely, mate. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come, and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.